My name is Howard Trenholm. I'm the host of this week's This Week in Moab, and I'm very pleased to announce that I have a whole slew of live guests, actually. Yes, no, they're not on a little screen that I have to peer into. No, they're actually here in the studio live with us. So um, I've got a couple of sets of guests. Um, first guests are from Community Rebuilds. I have Molly Gurney, who's the fundraising coordinator, and Ellie Gross, who's the content manager. Both of you will be describing what those positions are because, you know, I'm the, I don't necessarily know. And they'll be my first guests for a few minutes really to talk about quite a few things that community rebuilds are up to right now. They've been up to things for quite a few years, to be honest. So this is all good. And then my main guests will be representatives from the Moab City Council or, or representative from the Moab City Council, Tawny Boyd, and representative from the Grand County Commission, Jacques Hadler. Um, and they're going to kind of give us an update of what's going on down on Center Street, I guess. We could say that. But I'm um, just going to jump right into the microphone since live guests is just such an honor and privilege after this year of um, you know what. I will say that before I get going that the opinions and statements heard on this program are those of the presenter and do not necessarily represent the opinions or position of the management or trustees of KZMU Moab Community Radio Anyone with differing viewpoints is invited to call the office at 259-8824. And one last thing, if, I mean, just to restate this, that the studios, KZMU studios and offices have been solar powered since 2008. I have 60 panels installed adjacent to this beautiful studio here high atop Rocky Road. And to date, KZMU has saved over 365,000 pounds of CO2 emissions from the air. We're going to be talking about emissions in the air shortly. I just I will give kind of to Grand County Commissioner once he comes in because there have been some updates today. So he will share those with you as we proceed with the show. But now I will turn to my guests. Well, hello. Hi. Can you say hello? Do a mic check. Get Hi. One, two. One, two. That's one, very good. So we're one, two, the girl. You are Molly Gurney. Why don't you say hello? <laughs> hello. And introduce, give your name and your position and explain a little bit about what you do with Community Rebuilds. Sure. Um, I'm the fundraising coordinator. Um, both mine and Ellie's positions are through AmeriCorps, so we have uh, one-year terms. What is AmeriCorps? Huh. Um, <laughs> a government program that uh, pays, pays people to do kind of service years, um, helping different nonprofits and organizations around the U.S. and, you know, um, the government pays us, basically, but we work in the office and nine to five. And you are the fundraising coordinator. Is that yeah. fundraising or fund with a D or both? Fund, fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> I work, work hard all day, no fun. Um, so that's grant writing, donor relations, um, event planning, etc., etc. everything to do with money and marketing mostly okay and ellie you are the content manager what is a content manager at community rebuilds first of all hello hi um yeah so i um do a lot of the content for our homeowners for our internship program so that might be our homeowner decision guide is something that i work on helping the homeowners through the process creating that kind of content um, and then for the interns, that might be our intern curriculum or instructor curriculum or some different things that I'm working on. So you're both in one-year positions. Mm -hmm. When did you come on board to the Community Rebuild ship? I came in October, so I'm, I'm done around Halloween. Okay. Yeah, and I came um, beginning of April. 
So you've both kind of been in different phases of this um, interesting year of all years that community rebuilds faced with, um, I think there was a pandemic, was there not? Mm. So how, just quick update. I mean, I know you're working your particular position. Can you, how are things going just as far as pulling through that particular challenging time? Yeah, I mean, despite so many obstacles and, and ups and downs, we've, there has been a lot of like COVID relief um, options um, in terms of funding and support from the community. Um, so that's been really wonderful. We've, we've been working with a skeleton crew of builders, so we've had to definitely shift some things due to that. But, you know, we're, we're crafty, we're scrappy, we're making it. Are you able to house um, interns yet? Um, they are. We have certain housing. I mean, at the dorm, them. at the dorms oh, that you built. Dorm? No, not, not yet. yet. Okay, so that's still kind of under restrictions. Yeah, that sixteen people putting them all together in in one house still feels a little risky. Sounds frat house like, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so that's not happening. So, but you've been very busy. I mean, with limited crew working extra hard. It's has it been easy out on Easy Street? Because I know the last build was so easy, wasn't it? As you well know, I'm sure the builders will tell you this, the one at the corner <laughs> there of Mill Creek and Spanish Valley Drive. And oh, man. Yeah, that was a piece of cake. But now you're up on Easy Street. How is that going? Um, well, we are about to have our open house June 23rd from 4 to 8 p.m. Um, so Ooh. we're finishing up finally on those houses. Um, we're really excited because we have some new designs. Um, they're actually designed in-house. They're one of our first um, buildings that we're designed in-house by previous AmeriCorps Vista, actually, so that's really Can you exciting. name the name? Uh, Kenny. Kenny. Yeah. Kenny. Kenny AmeriCorps. Yes. Okay. <laughs> right, right. So, that you so that's a new design in-house, and well, first of all, I just want to compliment Community Rebuilds, because I mean, I know you're fairly new to the process, but it's not a new organization. It is kind of new, but it's, it's, it's got a few houses under its belt now, and you mentioned houses. So how many houses did you build this time? Um, well, Strawberry um, will actually be our 40th house will be on Strawberry. Uh, how many are you building on Easy Street right uh, now? There's four. Four. Because yeah. yeah. that's usually... First time for that, too. First, yeah. exactly, a mm -hmm. first time. It was used to be just one, you see, once every two a year. Then I went to four. Now you're upping the ante a little. So that's next Wednesday. Where is it occurring? I would imagine out on Easy Street. Yes, out on Easy Street. Four, two, eight, five. East Easy Street, yeah. Will it be fairly apparent when people wander out there? Because, you know, it's a social <laughs> event. Are you going to have any sort of social distancing rules in play? Yeah, our, I mean, we'll have indoor tours, um, you know, kind of controlled how many people are going through it. But um, all we'll have, like, snacks and refreshments and all of that mm -hmm. will be outside. And then we'll also be having a silent auction, which is very exciting. And the homeowners will be present to answer questions from the public, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, they'll be they'll they'll be there. We have a, a medical worker, a bike mechanic, a restaurant manager, and a teacher. Awesome. So mm -hmm. kind of good, nice cross section of the community. Um, it's interesting. There's been a lot of discussion about workforce, which kind of directly relates to housing. I don't know if you can answer this question, but it was kind of brought up at various forums that were discussing this about the financial qualifications for community rebuilds. It's hard because you have to have the USDA makes the requirements, do they not? Yeah. Yes. And they're kind of yeah, sticking the muds about the number, aren't they? I, I hear because it just seems like there's a lot of people in the community that, you know, 
I guess this is a good thing, but they're doing better than threshold levels for a lot of the community rebuild properties. In other words, they make too much money Mm. and they kind of find themselves in this no man's land or no person's land where they don't qualify for these programs like community rebuilds and they can't afford a free market home. Right. We need very low income housing. We need low income housing. We need medium income housing. Yeah. Yeah. But I I would suggest that people check out our website we have all the qualifications there um and it's actually it's much higher income than i think most people think of when they Mm. think of low income okay um i can't remember the exact number um but i know a lot of people a lot of homeowners have been surprised that they actually do qualify okay yeah lena lena works with the homeowners for a few years and helps them figure out really where they stand so she's super great um you have a big project. I mean, you'll be both be around for the next stage, which is somewhat, I've heard, tied up. It's a little delayed because of, you're kind of pioneering something, are you not? <laughs> when you talk a little bit about what the next process is, and I know it's not going exactly to plan well, but you're hammering through, right? We are, you know. <laughs> Do you want to go for it, Ellie? Ellie, tell us what's happening. You've been doing some designs. A Royal, a royal Crossing a royal is crossing. the hint, yeah. Yes. Um, yes, yeah, so we're planning to do 24 houses, I think, in total on a Royal Crossing. Um, Over what sort of time frame? So the time frame has been delayed, you know, due to COVID and... No, as far as the 24 homes, you're going to do them at once or are you going to... Well, so we'll do them in groups of four, kind of like how we did Strawberry. Okay. Um, and we're hoping that we'll be starting to build those houses um, next month. Awesome. Yeah. Two years total for, for 12 homes, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, and that's, I mean, that's obviously the next step is just... Acquiring land, yeah, <laughs> and then z- make sure it's zoned okay, which is another issue. I mean, there seems to be a lot of land available in the in the Valley community, shall we say, as in Spanish Valley. That there's maybe not necessarily directly in Grand and City of Moab, but it seems that there might be opportunities for you out in the Valley there. Right, and that's why Strawberry is so wonderful. Kaylin Jones donated, or didn't totally donate, but gave it gave us that land at a discount. Um, which is very unique. You know, most property owners here, or landowners, are trying to sell it to the highest bidder. But um, So that was a really, really lucky opportunity for us. You find the, a lot of the locals that actually live here full-time are vested, you'd say, in the community full-time, right. and they have a different kind of um, attitude towards um, the free market capitalism <laughs> out there. Okay, so is that a nice way to put it? <laughs> So thanks, Kaylin. We know who Kaylin is. One of his colleagues is coming in shortly yeah. afterwards here. Anything else you want to add? Just any reminders? And volu- do you need any volunteers ever? Yes. Okay. Here's Lots your p- of time. Okay. Here's your chance to pitch for whatever you need. Wednesday, it's going to be 108 degrees. We've got speakers. We have a hose. It's going to be fun. <laughs> anyway, we, we take volunteers all the time. It's an open classroom, um, especially with COVID. We're definitely looking for more hands just because we have less interns and, and such. Do you have volunteer days for locals that they can just kind of... I know you used to have the stomp party, but, but I mean, that was kind of a yeah. tradition. But there's other needs, too. I mean, do you... And those are... Where would people find those? Um, volunteer days? Yes. Honestly, every day is a volunteer day. But <laughs> Something more formal, like do you have a place where people can look to see what opportunities might be there for them? Yeah, on our website, we have a little volunteer tab. Ellie just redesigned our website. It's looking great. It's looking fresh. Um, yeah, I would say just call our office to see what stage we are in the build and if that's something you're interested in, in hopping in on. We have some plaster coming up, which I know is some people's favorite parts yeah. of natural building. So We're also finishing up on um, kind of like a 
material monument, I guess, at our LBC homes um, at Mill Creek. Mm-hmm. So that could be something that people are interested in being part of that project. Obviously, it's like one of our most sustainable projects. That could be a cool it thing. Quickly explain what that is, ha- what is happening there for those of them. It might be unfamiliar. I've right. seen the signs, but explain real fast what's going on there. Yeah, so we're doing a fence around the property, um, but it's kind of more of like an artistic um, almost art piece that we're doing um, and it uses a lot of reclaimed materials so it reduces um, a lot of waste from the construction process um, and kind of helps meet our goals of being really sustainable on that property. Well great we look forward to emerging as we w- look forward to all your projects emerging and good luck mm-hmm. at the open house next Wednesday 4 to 6 out on Easy four Street. To 4 to 8 sorry mm-hmm. out on Easy Street. Thank you very much ladies yeah. for being my first live guest and quite some time oh thanks Howard hope to see you there and thanks for everything for community rebuilds they are probably one of the the color that makes Moab such a beautiful canvas to live in I am pleased about is to have two members of our local governments live in the studio and not appearing on a little screen with a bunch of others it's great zoom has been a fantastic way to kind of just keep going keep on going but it's so nice to be back together again i have to say thank you both say hello tawny boyd from moab city hello hi how are you Howard? come close to that mic there it's okay Oops. if you feel like Sorry. disinfected no, you're good you're good you should be used to this now with the youtubing videos and you know you're all teleconferenced I only, out I only can do that in brady bunch form <laughs> <laughs> and jack hadler from the grand county commission welcome both hello hi, jack Howard. Jack, I did mention this um, to the listeners that before you came on the air, but Jack is also part of the KZMU family. He moonlights as a DJ once in a blue moon. Friday nights, actually, if you're interested in probably quite an eclectic sound of music, no doubt. Fre- <laughs> Plastic Friday, magic. Friday nights at nine, and I'm not used to being here in the daytime. <laughs> this is a treat. It's awful light and bright, is it not? It and all is. sorts of people, too. It was a, it was a warm ride over. Hey, I'm going to just um, jump right to you first, um, Jack, just because of the fire. And I know there's been some, you know, it's a very, you know, in the moment thing. So just, just kind of, we'll lead into that and just let us know what's going on with the fire from the county perspective. Yeah, first, before we do that, I wanted to send out a, a great, great thank you to all the visiting firefighters here and everybody who's on the fire right now. Um, I had a chance to get out to the uh, stakeholder meeting at 11 o'clock today at the Old Spanish Trail Arena, and we were, we were briefed in depth about the fire. Um, it's, it's big. It's going to be here for a long time. Um, there's, there's lots of people on the ground, uh, right now, close to 400. Um, and there are engines, there's, there's air support. Um, this fire is actually the number one priority in the Great Basin Fire District, which encompasses all of Utah and half of Nevada. So it's a big deal. And, and people are doing absolutely what they can to, to fight it. So, so a shout out to all those guys. Thank you if you're listening. Um, it is, yeah, like I said, it, it's, it's big. It's, I think right now, the last I heard it was up to 11,000 acres. Um, it's crossed over Geyser Pass. So it's starting, we're starting to look at the backside of the mountain. Oh, no. Um, yeah, it's, and it's, uh, there's not much relief in sight. They have a meteorologist on site, and he uh, stressed that we are experiencing extremely high uh, temperatures, obviously, and also extremely low relative humidity. Um, that's not going to change for a little while. There, there could potentially be some uh, moisture relief in the LaSalle's. 
this weekend, but that, he was only putting that at about 20%. And at this point, it would take a, a rain event to really to really help the guys out up there. So a monsoon event. Something like that. And, we're, and, we're, and it looks like that's not going to happen for some time, wow. unfortunately. So Let me ask, um, any, is there any imminent threat and danger to the Moab community? I mean, obviously... You know, I don't know if it's fr- is it spreading north too? It's is it, it's in Geyser Pass now. Then it, it doesn't look like, from my understanding, that it is spreading north. I don't think that there is an immediate threat to the Moab community. Uh, Grand County did just issue a emergency declaration just right before I came over here. I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing, but I think the nut of that is to give the sheriff the authority to evacuate people if necessary. Um, and I think there are some structures, residences up in that area that uh, are going to be affected by an evacuation order. Okay, thank you for that. Anything from the city you want to add to from Tawny? You know, this really isn't the city's bailiwick other than to just be supportive of our community members and to um, firefighters. I, too, would like to thank all of them. Um, they've they've left their, their homes and their families, some of which may be in danger, too, and come to come to help us and um i also want to thank the the moab community the grand county community our merchants and our hoteliers and everybody i know restaurants have stepped up and said firefighters please come have a meal on us use the mrac if you need to shower cool off recharge anything um I think our job right now is is just to be supportive and remember what it was like three years ago this week when we had the cinema court fire yeah. and um, hopefully we stay in the same um, no loss of life yeah. Yeah. zone yeah. Uh, the structures can be replaced sure Sure, and I think we've done that. And I don't know if Pat Creek's, if those residents were back in the community yet, but um, we did what we had to do. We're very good at doing that, and we do it fast, and that's was critical too. I did read just before I left that um, the evacuation order for the lower Pat Creek had been lifted for residents only. Okay, that's good. So they can at least assess what's what's what what they what they face. Yeah. Um, Let's move on from fire to water. <laughs> if we had more water, we might not have so much fire. Well, uh, well I mean, it's, uh, I, I mean there's, there's certain indicators. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, I didn't do a weather forecast, and I was commenting to the station manager. I mean, I've, I've been here in 20 – I mean, I'm just kind of new. I mean, Tawny, you've been here forever. I mean, kind of – I mean, compared to Jacques and I, we're just newbies. <laughs> but as long as the Internet's been around me looking at the weather channel, I've never, ever seen a forecast like we have for this week for Moab's weather and it just seems a relentless. I've heard actually on a, a BBC news report they were co- they were doing a report on California. They actually mentioned Spencer Cox um, asking for divine intervention, and the BBC kind of being very BBC said, "Yes, divine in- intervention for a man-made problem. This is the water issue." Right. So I mean, here we are. I mean, we've seen the maps. I mean, w- you guys are at the helm of the local governments. Ultimately, kind of the thresholds where the water supplies come in. What's going on there with water? I mean, what do we need to do? I mean, really, there's a chance to tell the community. We know what's going on. What do we need to do? Divine intervention, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We do need to do the small things. We we do need to watch our leaky faucets and, you know, water at appropriate times and don't overwater and consider not so much lawn and sod. And the simple things that we can do add up. 
Um, and, and we've all heard those things for for years and years, and in fact, you know, decades probably, we've heard those things. So continue to do those things. Um, and, and I wish I could clone Mike Duncan right now and have him by me because he knows far more about the situation in depth than I do. Well, I, yeah. um, that might be another show. Well, I know. He's been out <laughs> here before talking about it. I mean, that's why I have you here because he's, very, he's, he's, a, he's a very intelligent gentleman and sometimes he speaks in a language that sometimes the lay person might not he's, understand. He's very so, Tony, we're hoping you might kind of bridge that gap as, as a communicator you know, to the community but in I, a sense. I think listen to the people that, that know. Um, listen to those, the hydrologists and the water engineers. and um, it's, it's okay to question them, but they've studied this and they've studied our climate and they have studied our geography for forever. And um, some of the things that they, that they say might seem overwhelming but I think there's a lot that individual households and individual people can do that, that will make a difference. Yeah, I'd absolutely echo that. It's, it's super dry and everything that we can do, every, every drop or gallon saved is, is another drop or gallon that we have. Um, do you have, I mean, I hate to mention this. I mean, there's, I, always, I always feel there's two things that we never discuss as a community. I mean, we're very blessed in Moab, especially in the city of Moab with our water supply. It is of a very high quality you can't deny it, and it's a single-use supply. Um, and that's something, again, I mean, I know we, there's fearful, I mean, I, as a way to, you can always alleviate these fears and say, well, we could do this. And, of course, I'm sure, you know, the municipalities and counties will have to look at this at some point, that when I say first-use water, I mean, very few cities and anywhere actually use the water just once. You know, it's recycled yeah. back into the system. In fact, I've heard statistics in Cal even L.A., which is a lot of water there, and they use the water from here, ironically, but they use it at least five times. So, I mean, that is there. Of course, the cost of that is another factor, and that's, I mean, water rates are going up. Um, I think a lot of residents kind of see that. Just in general, rates seem to be rising, and I understand and I hear what you say in meetings, and I, I definitely sense that you represent the people of Moab who are kind of, you know, not struggling necessarily, not all of us, but there's a certain level of costs that are burdened higher here than everywhere else. And when you hear anything about tax increases, whether it be water or whatever else, it's hard. So, I mean, just kind of alleviate maybe some stress out there, what you guys are working on to not burden us. I mean, I, I know you are, Tawny, because I hear you in meetings speaking out in public about that cause. And I think it's great to hear that because I think that should be heard on Center Street too. But just comments on that. Um, we're at, we're not working on any um, any water uh, issues such as that. Other than um, funding studies, we are doing studies on on the deep aquifer and the um, valley fill aquifer, as well as the um, Matheson wetlands uh, freshwater lens. So those are some things that we're doing to look to the future and really give us a better idea about how much water there is. Yeah. And I know you're also very new into the. I also want to recognize that Jacques is, what is it, six months now? Six months, almost six months. Is your head full of um, stuff that you never thought could fit in there? So Absolutely. I appreciate you're getting up to speed with a lot of things, and budgets is one of them. I mean, that's, I think, honestly, as commissioners and counselors, that's one of your biggest responsibilities as bodies because yeah. that ultimately has direct effect on, on every yeah, resident of the community line, and every certainly. renter right. and every business renter mm -hmm. and everything because 
taxes do have a downstream effect. It does. It affects everybody's bottom line, like you said, Howard, whether people rent or they own their home or, um, or if they're visiting, it's going to affect their bottom line. Um, I, I think, and it's, I don't think it's unique to Moab, but I think in the West we've got to have a bit of a paradigm shift in how we utilize the water, like you said. California reuses it and uses it over and over, as does um, Las Vegas. Um, granted, our fountains are not quite as spectacular as Las Vegas, but um, we, we do need to think about how we can reuse the water that we have. And I think some of our de- developers, such as Community Rebuilds, who you just had here, you know, they're they're um, looking at installing gray water and, and or gray water use in, in the homes that they're building. And while that might not seem like on its face a big deal for one or ten houses every year, as that changes and that becomes more more common, um, that's one of those little things that adds up and that and that will help. Um, and I, I really think the American, you know, the idyllic American home with a half acre of this gorgeous Kentucky bluegrass out in front has really, really got to change. Um, it's probably fine if you live in Kentucky where there's <laughs> plentiful water. Sure. Um, I think we need to see beauty in different kinds of landscapes, especially in our arid climate. And... Um, just just promote that beauty and enjoy that beauty rather than some idealized um, form of form of what brings us brings us beauty and joy to our own homes. Let me um, add a little mix to this question too, because obviously we have a supply that we have right now, and we have a commitment to what we've committed to. I mean, when I say that, we've committed to lodging, we've committed to various forms of industry and such. At which point do you leaders have to consider the future? When I say that, I mean, you know that we need housing for employed. Everybody knows that. So if water is something that is a precious resource and that we have a limited supply on, how do you and government determine who gets it? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a how's that one? How's that a question? <laughs> you can yeah. answer that in a year now. <laughs> But that's a, it's a good question to ask because, I mean, obviously, planning is a process. I mean, what's happening now is obviously maybe not being built tomorrow, but it's going to be in the process of. And, and we do always need to look ahead to the future and consider the fact that we're probably going to have a lot more residents here and visitors in, in, the, in the near and distant future. Um, so it's something that, that we should be constantly thinking about. Do you have concerns with San Juan County? I mean, obviously, they're the big, I mean, big neighbor in the, in the valley. They sit higher up the valley. I mean, I just, I'm not a geologist. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a physicist. But it seems they seem to be closer to the worst, you know, the water supply being a little bit higher up on the slope. So, I mean, city of Moab, I mean, I mean can't, you know, and the county, I mean, do you have contingencies for um, that case scenario? We're, we're trying to work with San Juan County for sure and get the, th- or the three political entities in the valley together to work on some of these issues. And we've had some preliminary meetings with some leaders in San Juan County and have plans to have more. But yeah, yeah, that's absolutely an issue. And I think we're all in it together and we'll all have to, um, to work on it together. I mean, generally speaking, they are kind of, in a way, maybe the city and county's best 
partners right now in this valley as far as the, what we need. I mean, it's, it's very challenged. We have very limited land here, completely landlocked. I don't think there's any county in America that is so landlocked. When I say landlocked, I mean that the land that around us is it's massive and plentiful, but it's very inaccessible as far as leg- leg- legally. It's not ours. It's public lands. It's public lands. So, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it comes to a point where, you know, here we are we're on the fine little edge of this amazing, vast, because vast is an understatement, public lands, and yet you seem like, gosh, if we could only just get a couple of acres of that in the valley <laughs> as an idea to help make housing. I mean, we're moving into the next subject, which is housing. It seems to not. Water, of course, is, I mean, that's tied to housing. You can't build houses if you don't have water for them. That's my point with the... Well, exactly, exactly. And you, you have to be... We're landlocked and we're confined geographically, and you have to be good partners. You can't be at loggerheads with your neighbors and the other agencies that, that help manage and control the water and and the systems that are related to those. So everybody has to um, maybe work for the greater good. Um, It it would be really easy to say, you know, Moab City has X amount of water rights and we are not going to budge from from those water rights. But if our neighbors... If our neighbors need some assistance and there needs to be some give and take and... um, we need to involve GWISA and the Moab Irrigation Company. That's what we have to do, and we have to be able to talk to each other without without butting heads and without um, yeah, we're angry s- disagreements. We're so interconnected in the Valley. I mean, people who work for the county live in San Juan County and, and the city, and we're, yeah, I think we're all in it together. It's challenging because, I mean, this... I mean, you politicians deal with this more than anybody else. I'm a public servant, Howard. I'm not a politician. <laughs> public servant. Elected, elected, elected officer to the, to the government. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but you do have to respond to your constituents. And you, and you know, I'm sure you've heard of this group of citizens called NIMBYs. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. So you know who they are? Yeah. Not, not in my backyard. And the cave people. Do you know who cave people are? Citizens against virtually everything. So, I mean, those two groups of people are pretty active. I mean, one, uh, I always find this a little ironic. We have a very participative county and city governments. People vote in this county by they a do. huge margin. It's yes. a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because, <laughs> I mean, a lot of those people are also in your, you know. And so you hear, for example, when I bring San Juan County and suggestions for housing, well, what if the city upzone this and what if the county upzone that? And when you try and do that as governments, NIMBYs and cave people, and it makes your job very, very difficult is what I'm trying to point out. So when you have an open canvas like San Juan County, Maybe, you know, to keep the NIMBYs and cave people happy since they don't actually exist in a place that hasn't been developed because they haven't established themselves yet. That might be actually a viable solution for, you know, the city and county down the line. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) as you know, all options are on the table, are they not? I mean, realistically. Sure. Well, in in defense of NIMBYs and cave people, we all probably can fall under that umbrella at some time we get in our we get in our comfort zone and we get um, comfortable in our neighborhoods and change is difficult some people some people adapt to it better than others do Um, some types of change are not nearly as as onerous for people to accept so I think as 
elected officials, our job is to communicate that we're, we are not trying to ruin a neighborhood or ruin a city or a county or, you know, take away any history, anything that happened before us. We are just, we are trying to make the best decisions that we can with the information that's in front of us today for tomorrow. And, and we try, I try to listen to, to everybody and all those voices, the, the NIMBYs in the caves, as well as, as everybody else who writes in or calls in or makes a, a, a public um, uh, statement at one of our public meetings. Um, we definitely listen, and I absolutely encourage all the, all the listeners to, to well, you, have, you have our ear. Do you feel a little bit of pull between the commerce side of things that collect all the taxes that make your budgets work and then the people that are on the other side, like you talked about, and that those two, sometimes those forces are, you know, in uh, going against each other, but they're both kind of necessary forces at play. So how do you do that as elected leaders? How do you manage that? Yeah, that's a tough one, Howard. It's, a lot of times they are, in, you know, pulling you in different directions, but um. I think just sitting down and, and listening to all the parties and, and looking at things as objectively as possible and, and then having the, <laughs> having the gumption to make the hard decisions, too. And that's, that's, that's a big learning curve for me, anyway, in the first six months here, um, figuring that out. You're both on the same street. You both kind of take care of the same folks, more or less. I mean, the city has them, but the city residents are also county residents. I remember having a county commissioner tell me that, and like, oh, right, you're right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very quite, you know, quite pointly. So a lot of things you're working on together as, as units, and you mentioned it before quite clearly that more collaboration that happens between various government agencies, generally the better result. So let's kind of quickly talk to a couple of things that have been on the radar of late, and one's noise. Mm-hmm. So just kind of clarify as best you can, you know, your positions from the county and from the city, you know, how they're similar, how they're different, perhaps, just so everybody's kind of clear, because I hear there's a lot of, they're not really sure who's doing what. First of all, I'll say this on behalf of the state, they didn't change anything. <laughs> so just be clear, through all the best efforts of great democracy and every, all the wheels that worked, it's democracy. It didn't work in our favor. It was close but we didn't get it. And I think it's very aware of our, you know, we definitely brought the issue to the statehood, but backing down to the local issues, and that's what the state said, take care of it yourselves, folks. What did you do? So we'll start with you, City. What did you do, City? Well, we, we lowered the speed limits for um, OHVs on our city streets. Um, and we, uh, we passed a noise ordinance, and it's a noise ordinance, not a sound ordinance because I think human beings are very noisy creatures. <laughs> um, and I've had, com- I've had positive comments about both. Um, they're glad to see that law enforcement is actually taking it seriously. A few tickets have been issued. Um, more warnings have been issued initially, which is what we, what we wanted. I've heard... Anecdotally, I don't have data, but I've heard anecdotally that the lower speed limits, the education, and people just seem to not have the, um, the uh, users aren't knocking heads and, you know, the people aren't being screamed at from the street and the parking lots. And um, so maybe it's just, maybe people have just, calm down they can get out um 
and enjoy their families and what what they want to do. On the other hand, I've heard, I hate the 15-mile-an-hour speed limit because I get stuck behind those people and it causes me road rage and, well... (laughs) I think they're better known as cave people, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, just not to classify you. I mean, I, everybody's entitled to it, um, and it's American. You can say what you want. I've been lucky I haven't been stuck behind a long line of OHDs. Um, and I think I said the other night at our meeting, I wish the speed limit on 500 West would be 30 miles an hour because my car doesn't go that slow. Um, <laughs> it's... Well, it's minimum speeds are dangerous, too. I mean, you see on highways, there's a minimum speed limit, too. It's like you can know you can't drive too slow. So I, overall, I think that, the, um, that, that our efforts are, are being, they're, they're fruitful. They're not perfect. Um, and our OHV visitors are not going to go away. They, um, they've, they've found our beautiful place. And uh, it's better to welcome them as best we can and ask them to be good guests. Absolutely. Well said, Tony. County, um, you did a little more than noise ordinance. Yeah. Correct. um, Yeah. So, again, we also did the uh, speed limits, and that was actually before I got here. Um, And we did spend a ton of time working on the noise ordinance that that occupied a lot of my... uh, my first couple of months on the commission. Um, we had demos. We worked with the Motorized Trails Committee of Grand County, and um, we did pass uh, noise ordinances. I think the nut of that was we established a, a decibel level by a certain test. It's a it's a tailpipe test, and I've been to a few of those demonstrations, but the, the level ended up being 92 decibels across the board for all, all types of vehicles under 9,000 pounds. Um, I attended a demo just the other day after the ordinance was passed up at Sandflats uh, with the sheriff and the county attorney, um, Moab Police Chief uh, Brett Edge was there as well. Um, and we tested, I think it was about 35 vehicles. About half of them were uh, OHV vehicles. And most of them passed the, the test, including my loud VW van. Wow. <laughs> um, there, there was a few that, that didn't pass, not, not many. Um, but I think uh, that is that was the option that the state gave us. They when they when they declined to pass the legislation this, in this last session, they came back to us and they asked us to to do what we could with noise ordinances and to enforce um, uh, noise issues here before we came back to them and asked them for more legislation. So that was that was. Uh, I just want to clarify a difference in the city and county, but the county did introduce some ordinances on the numbers of um, ATV outfitters or with whatever. With the outfitters, right. Yeah, they, so the ATV outfitters will remain, I think it's six, um, and the number of machines were limited to uh, 18, I believe, um, per outfitter or whatever you have now, uh, there are a few outfitters with more than that, so they'll, they'll be keeping that. And then the outfitters also have to have their machines tested and comply with the 92 decibel um, rating uh, using the, the J1287 test. And the city didn't have that. They just, as far as you know, it was just, it was just a noise. Well, we, we, passed the de- we passed the decibel limit. Yeah. That was the same. But not a... I don't think that we did anything with... Um, limiting the numbers of vehicles unless the county ordinance covers 
the businesses it, in the, the city because they're in the county too? It, I don't know. It, it doesn't actually. Okay. This is just for the county outfitters. And as as far as the sheer numbers go, I, I believe um, eighty percent of the uh, rental vehicles are are in the city, and about twenty percent are in the county. Okay. So the, that. the majority are in the city. First of all, you, you it showed good governance, and uh, for all those out there, the, the laws are living documents. <laughs> it's not signed, sealed, delivered. That's it. The commandments have been set; they're in stone. No, there'll there'll be adjustments. There'll be that's what called amendments are. Sure. So I mean, uh, the fact you did something uh, hopefully the community now what i was really trying to get from you are you hearing some feedback from the residents at the same i mean maybe no news is good news in the in a elected leader's book no no yeah like i said i've i've had feedback on on both ends yeah uh, yeah i have too and i think um i think the speed limits are are actually doing more than i i was a pretty skeptical about them but they do seem to be lowering the noise and our valley is really small if you are stuck behind an atv you're not going to be stuck behind one for very long a couple minutes at the sure. most um so that seems to be working also the as far as the noise ordinances go um it's kind of the county's position not to issue citations for the first year but generally use the ordinance as an opportunity to um, gather data and just let people know and and see how it goes and we'll revisit it in, in a year but but really um not be too hard on it just get the get the word out there to visitors and locals alike that there is a noise ordinance and that they should comply and if they have a loud or noisy machine that that they may be pulled i'm going to flip the switch on you here let's go from loud and noisy machines to really quiet ones <laughs> electric bicycles <laughs> how do you like that transition it's good huh that's awesome and that's something again city and county both um kind of had conversations about this in recent weeks do you want to just give us an update on yeah. what's been decided yeah i'd love briefly? to Howard. that's that's a that was an issue that was pretty close to my heart so i was uh, involved with that for or against uh i you know, on I'm I'm for them on the on the pathways and in the parks, and I, and I am because I think it's a great transportation device. It's modern, um, it's got an extremely low footprint. It's easy for people to get out. Um, people of all ages or or ability levels, you can hop on an e-bike. Um, they're they're great. They're quiet. They don't go crazy fast. Both the city and the county's ordinances uh, passed um, class one e-bikes, which means that they are limited to 20 miles an hour, or they only assist you up to 20 miles an hour. You can actually pedal them faster than that, but, um, but they won't give you any boost, um, greater than that. Is that, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you seem like a purist shack that it's all, it's all human powered. No, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a electrification. Like, I, I, pedaled, <laughs> I pedaled over here this afternoon, even in the heat. And I love, I love to ride my bike. Everyone, everyone but sees me about town. Let me ask you, I mean, have you ridden an electric bike? I certainly have. Yeah. Tell yeah. me how it feels. It's, it feels like you, but faster. It feels like you on a really, really good day. It's, a little empowered, maybe even. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Okay. Um, awesome. So there was, you, there was but, some rules. But really it feels like a bike. It's not a motorcycle. The class one e-bikes are not throttle operated. You have to be pedaling it. It just gives you a little more oomph. It makes it a lot easier. So you, you know, it might cut your commute time on a bike down from 15 minutes to, to eight or 10 minutes. Um, and they're, and it essentially they're a bike. You can turn them off. You can hit the on off switch and you're, and you're pedaling your bike home. It's a little heavier than a regular bike, but it's, but it's fine. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah. And the city, again, you were, I mean, I, it was quite a discussion last week about them. It was it? quite a discussion, and it, um, our, our discussion revolved more around that we did not have a definition for an e-bike. And so we cleaned up our code a little bit, and um, the ordinance that we passed was for Class 1 e-bikes on the, the paved trails, well, on the, on the parkway. There was some discussion about if they could go on the gravel or the dirt parts of the parkway, and yes, they can. Um, Just be courteous, like, you know. Be courteous um, and 
um, I've never ridden one. So Do you I have don't. any desire? I'm, I'm really interested, actually. There, you, I, I, I highly recommend that both of you try one out. It's okay. really, really kind of eye-opening, actually. I, I know uh, Mary McGann, our, our uh, commission chair, bought one a, We're few, not too old then, a are we? few years ago. And, she, and she's, she's older than both of you. And she, she, I see her out on her e-bike all the time, and she loves it. It, it, just, yeah. it, it, um, it just gives you an opportunity to ride around town in the fresh air. Get out of the car. It's 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 really great. It's really great. And I know there's a few shops in town that offer like a uh, kind of a commuter style e-bike. Not a nothing nothing fancy, but just yeah. I I am kind of curious. I just then I go, how long does rehab take if I fall off it? Am I going faster? Would rehab <laughs> wear take a helmet? <laughs> okay, knee pads if you need them. I mean, I'm sure you can ride a bicycle. Tommy. <laughs> yes, I can ride a bicycle. <laughs> and one thing I'd point out about the class one e-bikes is is twenty miles an hour speed is speed and i am a i'm a very um i'm more than a recreational cyclist I, I i ride all the time and i can i can attain a speed of 20 miles an hour on a standard bike pretty easily so i don't i don't think the um the speed that an e-bike gives you is outrageous at all okay. and, and really for me it's all about the transportation i think it's a great opportunity for us and, you guys- and i think the city attorney made a good point the other night um if if people are speeding on the parkway it's a speed issue it's not a device issue because, Absolutely. like Jacques said, he can go 20 miles an hour on his regular bike. So, And I'm going to bypass the bypass for both of your sake and just mention that trails and systems are very much part of the transportation plan that yes. is on the table at this moment, okay? They are. And I, I would like to make one comment about that. Um, in the recent weeks, I have seen evidence of several, not just one type of sign, being taken down, torn down, cut off, and... Whether people agree with the rule that the city or the county has made or enacted or agree with the resolution, when when someone is removing those signs, it's, it's theft of city and county property and it's vandalism. You're stealing property from your own friends and neighbors. And um, I would just ask that people be respectful. You don't have to like the, you don't have to like the rule that's been put in place. But, but be respectful of the reason it was made, and if you want to change it, the right there processes. are two open seats on the city council you could run for. Very good. A little plug there. Um, we're going to kind of wrap the e-bike thing into a nice kind of, uh, maybe a nice ending point where, again, mentioning where there's alignment between city and county. And one thing I have to commend both entities on, particularly the county, because it was kind of a no-brainer for the city, and that was signing on for the state renewable energy bill. Because it kind of brings us back to electricity, doesn't it? E-bikes, noise, (laughs) electrification. I mean, I would imagine that once ATVs and Jeeps and everything else electrify, the noise issue will just go poof. There'll be other issues like, oh, they're too quiet now. We can't hear them coming. <laughs> but anyway. Maybe. You signed on to this renewable energy bill. And for those, um, I'll quickly um, give a quick um, overview of what it was. It was a state bill. I mean, people may have, may or may have not have heard of the Paris Climate Agreement or disagreement, as it turns out to be. But the Paris, Paris Climate Talks. And the federal government, you know, is back and forth on this. And I think they're more forth on it at the moment. They were back on it a wee bit ago, but they've changed. That's how it happens at Washington. But at a, what's really interesting is at a state level, the states are actually acting upon their own interests. And perhaps a surprise to many Utahns, being such a mining and industrial state as we are, 
that they were one of the states that introduced the Renewable Energy Bill. And what the Renewable Energy Bill states that along with the utility company that the communities and municipalities that sign on to this bill, which was actually happening at the end of 2019, if you can take your brain back before COVID, but right at the end of 2019, there was an ask out by the state to sign on to this bill, which pledged that the communities that signed on would receive 100% of their energy from renewable sources. First of all, great job, Utah, because, I mean, you've got to realize I'm at a solar-powered radio station, so anything solar or electric is just right up the street. But the city of Moab, commendations along with Castle Valley on the other side of the hill there, both as municipalities signed up for green energy a long time ago in the form of blue sky. But what was really impressive was that Grand County signed on to this bill. And what was impressive about it, and that really is it's good in so many ways, is that of the 29 counties in this state, only three counties signed up as counties. And we are the only county in the whole of southern Utah to be on this bill. So congratulations. Thanks, Howard. So how do you get that? How, what do you, how, how's that going? You have done my spiel, but what's going on with the city and county as far as that goes? It's a little timeline. 2030 is the, the year right 2030, there. right. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us what's going on there. The city signed on to Blue Skies before I came on to the council. 20 so, years ago. Yeah. Um, please make me get this right. I think all of the buildings that are owned by the city, except for public works, um, have solar panels or renewables or renewables of some kind and that's been in place for a long long time yeah um, and I can't remember which year but I think in I think it was 2017 when we we signed on to this renewable energy bill and the and um, with the uh, renewable energy credits and people in Moab can buy into those and and the city saves a little bit it's under $200 a year by by being on this this plan it's not very much but it's the point of of being the leader and sh and you know being there first blue sky was a, for those that don't know what it is some Moab was a pioneering member it also was the first in nation to have a certain number of residents signed yes. up for it. It wasn't a high number by any means, but, but, but relatively speaking to the utility company, it was. And what the Blue Sky program was, was actually creating the mechanisms to lobby governments at the higher level about the value of green energy. And that started with Sarah Wright and Dave Sacrison. And they were just saying, what can we do? And they worked with you know, Deborah Dull at Rocky Mountain Power, and they concocted this blue. I mean, Rocky Mountain Power came up with this program. They kind of created it. Of course, that's all done and said, and that's great. The lobbying is working. I mean, it's happening. There's a yeah. switch that's happening. What I see our community is, gosh, isn't it awfully sunny here? Absolutely. Do we not have a lot of land that is landlocked for housing? But gosh, could we not make energy off it somehow? And what if that energy was taxed like mineral lease monies? Gosh, is that something the county and city would be behind, you think? Uh, it it sounds like a great idea, Howard. <laughs> so how do you make it happen? I mean, it, it takes governments. I mean, the, the, the change in our um, economy. I mean, Moab's leading the way in many ways, being a blue sky community. We're kind of pioneering things. There's no roadmap for us, Jack or Tony. We're making the roadmap. It's our roadmap. They're going to follow us. 
So now you have this opportunity. Would you, do you see that as something that economic development might be part of that too, perhaps? Certainly economic development and bringing, bringing money back into the community as well as doing the right thing and, and making electricity out of the sun. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Um, there, there's, not, there's not a map, and so there's not a wrong way. Um, there's, there's nobody that's saying you have to do it this way. And Rocky Mountain Power has been a, a very, very good partner and um, have, brought us, have brought us programs and, and proposals and all kinds of things up front, you know, and said, do you want to participate? Do you want to be part of this? And they've, I have to do a shout out to Rocky Mountain Power because they have been very, very good partners. Yeah. Yeah. We have no choice. I'm glad they are, actually, because you don't have much choice of where you get your juice you from. You don't. Tea. Other than buying your own batteries and all that. Well, in a way, so, I mean, renewable energy is a threat to the utility companies on a, on a small scale because, I mean, if you look at what community rebuilds can do, you can actually disconnect quite easily from the grid with a good battery pack. You know right. what I mean? So, you know, I can understand they're, they want to give up that business model so easily. But their Rocky Mountain Power... Um, gets a lot of their power from coal-fired power plants, especially over in Carpenter and Emory County. And a lot of those, well, several of them, several of those plants are being decommissioned by 2030. Yeah. So uh, I think that they're realizing there's another way to create power. Well, what's interesting, your higher-up guy, the congressman, he's, um, you know, he has to tell his tribe, kind of, you know what I mean? Um, about how this is working and he his perspective is this and I'd like to share this with you and because it's a great thing to share his belief is that it's not a problem that America can solve by itself the, cli the climate crisis yeah. okay it's an international global thing the whole world he would love America to be the pioneers of developing these kind of technologies delivery systems energy creation systems and sell it to the rest of the world because his tribe are businessmen, and they realize that we're, I mean, America's a business country, too, and that's what makes this country really excel and producing some incredible products, you know, when that happens. So mm -hmm. wouldn't it be great? And you got, I mean, you're on your first term in Grand County. There's no term limits now, Jacques. You can make this your little um, <laughs> torchbearer for renewable energy for all of us. And I know. would like to give a shout-out to, uh, to Congressman John Curtis, our congressman. He is, he is the leading voice in the, in the Republican um, House of Representatives on climate change and recognizing that it's a problem and looking at solutions for that. So, so yeah. thank you, Congressman Curtis. We need more help with these guys. I guess that was something I didn't touch on, but the public lands bill is, you know, possible, right? It is, right. Yeah. Yep. It's something that's come up. He's, he's asked the commission to look at it, and we're in preliminary stages on that. Well, time has just gone by so fast. I could keep you here all night, and we could go on to so many more subjects. We didn't get to sewer yet or anything like that, and pipes and roads and such. But thank you both for being here, and thanks for being servants of this great community. It's, it can't always be easy being public servants of such a participative community. But <laughs> thanks for all you do. Really we appreciate you. We always know where our residents stand, though. <laughs> oh, they like to know that. I mean, I like that about us. I mean, it's it's really is. I mean, it's sometimes you don't, but it does show that we're not afraid to speak out. We use that First Amendment yeah. quite yes. vocally. It's a great community. Um, proud to be a part of this community well we're proud to have you it's not an easy task i always tell all the politicians this because i've talked to many over the years in this format here that even if you're brilliant half the town doesn't like you <laughs> <laughs>
with that said, I like you both. Thanks for what you do, and we'll have you back up here later on sometime. So. All right. Thanks. Thanks Thank a you, lot, Howard. Howard. Okay. On with the rest of the broadcast, folks. Have a great evening.